Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. I mean, I only ever trust food that's sold out of the back of a Jeep. I, I think that's the only way to go about the, things. Uh, yeah, you should only trust food that's being sold to you by a nice person. Out I, of have, I have like two food trusting tiers and that's I, I literally grew it myself. Or it's being sold out of the back of a truck or a Jeep on the highway. Those are, those are the, two, the two trustable food sources. 100%. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Everything else inherently sus. <laughs> Speaking of reliable food um, sources, welcome to Horror Vanguard. I was about to say, <laughs> I I only trust I only trust my local supermarket, um, my local independent supermarket. Not what, not any of the big chains, you know, but the locally owned stuff. That's that's where you should really no, go. No, and also no spoilers, but I also only trust food products sold from my favorite horror movie review podcasts. So, uh, <laughs> listeners will find out what this is about that, in several months. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's an Easter egg for something which has not yet happened. That is a, that's that's what we call a future cut. But yes, yes. Uh, so, grocery stores. I love them. You love them. Uh, murderers love them. I mean, if horror movies have taught me anything, uh, if this week's horror movie has taught me anything, it's that everybody loves the local grocery store. And today, today we'll be discussing the 1989 classic Intruder, directed and written by Scott Spiegel, who you probably know from uh, the extended Sam Raimi universe fame. It was uh, it was really it was really fun to uh, talk about this before we started because we were what we were doing is basically like you know how you you can do cheese and wine pairings, right? You can you can have like. Uh, you can do cheese and wine. You can like the stuff just goes well together. And we were thinking of like we could pair horror movies, right? We could put things together that would make a great kind of double feature screening, right? And what's amazing about this movie is there's so much it would go so well with. Oh, this is this is this is like an artisanal pairing of a horror movie, right? Welcome. So we're, this is a new section we're doing on the show for our food related episodes called Horror Vanguard Charcuterie Film Board. <laughs> So, so we've got we've got a selection of fine cheeses and some wines, you know, perhaps some olives from the Tesco. Mm -hmm. We've got everything that the upper class loves in a charcuterie board. What films go with Intruder? Um, well, I, I'll go first. Um, Intruder, I think, would pair exceptionally well with another film about the realities of working class life in America in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm -hmm. um, something that we've done an episode on. Um, do a double feature intruder and uh graveyard shift what a, what a great combination Ooh, ooh, excellent 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 uh beautiful beautiful mouthfeel great aftertaste a wonderful bouquet this is perfect <laughs> i would say another film that we've tangentially covered a a sequel to um over in the crypt with uh our good friends at parallax view we we did texas chainsaw massacre um, and mm -hmm. that's yes, another, that's another, Ooh, that just goes so good. That that's a, that's a tangy, brighter note, right? You know, Texas, that's the spicy one on the charcuterie board. There's a little bit of that. You got to be careful with it, but the pairing is still good. As long as you approach it with a delicate eye for a combination of foods. Uh, if you want, if you want something that's like kind of indulgent, something that's just, just going to make you feel good. 
Um, this film is, of course, technically in the Sam Raimi cinematic universe. Pair it with Evil Dead. You know, uh, from 1981. Yeah, if, if if you're interested in kind of the less less the interpretive qualities of the charcuterie board, and you're interested more in the formal elements of cooking as craft, I think Evil Dead is a strong inclusion. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would also I would also like to suggest uh, as like a dessert, as a dessert, something sweet on the charcuterie board, the stuff. Another another movie Ooh. about uh, capitalism, the working class, and consumption. Uh, and I think to to round things out, I think my final suggestion for good pairing for this film, um, kind of the antithesis. What's the what's the antithesis to the local independent mm. grocery store? Well, it would have to be the chopping mall. Uh, so you pair it pair pair intruder with chopping mall, and it's like. It's like you get to see the evolution of American capitalism in real time. You know, I, I really think that, you know, like adding a little big box store flair to the charcuterie board is a great way to stay <laughs> humble and stay grounded. You know, you need you need something from the big Tesco on your charcuterie board. If if for nothing over than, than to pull a prank on on your other yacht club friends. Right. Because if you sneak in the Walmart wine and you tell them that this is like an 1800s aged oak cask vintage thing, you're going to have quite the gag. <laughs> um, well, I think, I, think, I think this should be a recurring feature when we have something that's even vaguely <laughs> food related. Vaguely we should have, <laughs> we should have the, the horror vanguard charcuterie board of film criticism. Um, but we are, we, are talking about, we are talking about Intruder. Um, kind of, kind of underappreciated. I think it did well at the time, but um, has maybe been overlooked, except for people who are, you know, into the kind of thing that it is. So I, I think it's only fair. I, I honestly, honestly, I, we, we try and be entertaining, but honestly, I think one of the best things that we do is kind of tell people about films they may not have seen, um, in just a very factual, very straightforward way. Um, so, uh, Ash, would you mind just laying it out for people? Intruder. What are we talking about? So I had originally written a pricey for Intruder that I, I think I'm going to read in its entirety at the end of the episode. Um, but but you, you hear me weave prose about early career Raimi any day, right? I wanted to do something a little bit more weird with this. Weirder even than the Horror Vanguard branded charcuterie board. <laughs> this was a Bruce Campbell movie that I had never seen. And despite knowing nothing about Intruder till I hit play, it was all deeply familiar to me. The the filmic character of Raimi and crew and Campbell and Spiegel, I, I know this very well, right? There's something deeply familiar. This feels like coming home. I Intruder was the intrusion of memory. And no specific memory, but the shape of memory. The the way that all hot summer nights feel the same, or how every embrace holds within itself the memory of all past embraces, that was watching Intruder for me. I had never seen this movie, but I had felt it before. I had known it. Nostalgia, deja vu, synecdoche, and simulacra all wove together to create the fundamental essence of what it is to hear vibrations from the past. Before we talk of Intruder... I want everyone to hold the shape of a memory. 
No specific details, mind you. It's not about the where, the when, the who, or the story. It's about what it feels like to remember. Dig up a dusty memory from your past. Something time-worn and stained with years. How does it feel to hold that in your mind? What happens as the edges, or what happens at the edges of the mental frame? Experience the psychogeography of your own mind. Embrace this intrusion as living memory, as we discuss Intruder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Praise C, one of two. Bonus, bonus, Praise episode day, everyone. M- much excitement. Uh, yeah. You mark your calendars. It comes only once a year. Bonus, Praise. Why? What? What day is today? Why it's bonus <laughs> Praise day? You um, lad in the street. The, what day is it? Well, governor's bonus the, Praise day. The dark spirits of podcasting have tormented Ash all night, <laughs> and so he has come out reformed. <laughs> That's a new kind of podcaster. I, I literally threw a fistful of change into the street at, at, a, at an urchin and told him to bring me a goose, uh, which confused him deeply as this is 2022 and such things are weird. <laughs> um, but let us begin. Let us begin our, um, our, not our excursion, but our intrusion into, into what we have known about ourselves and the world that we have inhabited, as we always do by traversing the formalism zone. Zone, 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 zone. And I know you have a very a, a breaking HV news bulletin that you wanted to start our formalist intrusion with. Ah, uh, yep. Turns out some people are being very, very wrong about horror movies on the internet. Imagine my shock that that is happening. So uh, just a couple of days ago, there was, a, there was an article in The Guardian that came out written by somebody who was talking about how contemporary horror movies um, are metaphorical to the detriment of the film itself, right? So instead of just being scary, they're like, oh, this is a horror movie about X, whatever X might be. Um, uh, They were were writing about Alex Garland's upcoming folk horror film, Men, um, which looks super interesting. And they were kind of complaining that a lot of horror is kind of reductionistly metaphorical and it would be better to go back to like 70s and 80s horror where where all all of that was subtext right all of the all of the um the the metaphorical readings were kind of subtextual um this of course is is nonsense <laughs> and very wrong because you get films like intruder and intruder is is very very it's very very clear in what it's about and it's very precise in what it's about and it's shot and put together in such a way that it trusts the audience to not need somebody to turn to the camera and go, by the way, <laughs> this, is, this is a film about working class antagonisms. Um, and uh, as, as I responded in a thing that I wrote uh, about this article, it's not subtext. It's just text. This is, like the films of the 70s and 80s were not, were not never shied away from what they were actually about. This is a film that is very clearly about um, specific topics, but it's just it's just text. It's not subtext. So I'm just I'm just kind of venting here. I'm getting getting get. It turns out people people have bad opinions, and this is why more people need to listen to the show. Yeah, breathe, breathe. Do some deep breathing exercises. Release the tension of another bad film article from the Guardian. 
Well, yeah. I mean, what did I expect? I, I know, I know. I, I, I saw the link and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, um, dear. It's, it's, They're uh, trying it again. I, I hold the Guardian in a lower esteem than I would like a viral Reddit thread about cinema. Uh, like the, the, the thing the thing that really killed me about that piece though is what were the examples they cited of film that was subtle and psychological and humble in its re- a- a- approach to ideas and subjects it, Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> like I I just I don't even with this kind of yeah. like and, and again like like all this article is right it's the same like um Amy Adams has a new movie that just came out called Night Bitch, which is billing itself as neo horror. Um, um, and it, it, this all tastes like elevated horror, an elevated yeah, horror discourse. And, and this yeah, article from back. The Guardian is just another example of that. Yeah, we're back. We're back in a very familiar space, aren't we? You know, we're back in this idea of like now it's it's now it's more socially acceptable to write criticism about horror movies when in fact. Horror movies have always been what they are, and there are. I I wrote a response piece, um, and you know I tried to make the case that there are good and bad ways of using metaphorical and and allegorical engagements with contemporary um, uh, a a social or historical moments, horrors, fears, and anxieties. But like, this is not new. This is. It's not like suddenly people have gone. Ah, oh, we should make a horror movie that's about a social issue. That's like that's that's baked <laughs> that's baked into horror from the very beginning of the form. Yeah, a- absolutely right. This is just another way to try and absorb text back into like some kind of like acceptable canon. You know, this is a way to tame horror. Yeah, if, it's, if you cre- if you the create elevated, the acceptable mode, yeah, yeah, elevated horror is like is about the 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 is about the liberal co option of horror, right? Where it goes, actually, this is it's about a social issue and it's and it's like no this horror is is a depiction of the psychological and phenomenological realities that people exist within right and this kind of liberal co-option of going well it's aesthetically acceptable now because it conforms to what we expect quote unquote cinema to look like is just so tedious and it's so ahistoric and it ignores it ignores things like graveyard shift or intruder which is about which is literally about being murdered at work by an obsessed boss, um, and 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 so like, oh, to look at a film like that and go, oh, it's just a scary story, right? There's nothing, there is, there's nothing else there. It's it's just such a kind of depressing way of thinking. I I couldn't agree more, and, and to kind of like because it's always it's always these kind of like art and cinema critics that are attempting to do this and harker agrees with me right now he's just meowing in, in the background wanting to share his take <laughs> and like but 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 the thing is is like as as film critics as art critics more broadly as cultural commentators we cannot elevate a horror text it's it's just not a thing that is potent, that we have a potential of doing right like the criticism is a potential the criticism that we deliver is a potential that was always in the text you know like like the farmer does not elevate the crop from the seed the farmer propagates a potential and that's all that we're doing is propagating these potentials that have always been there precisely you know all horror texts exist on this same plane where they can be elevated in quotes here by criticism this is merely on you the critic to do the engagement 
you know, as, as I like to say, to see eye to eye with the horror text, to get on its level and see what's going on in there and not put on airs and be like, oh, you know, this is this is a great text, which has there's a subtext in every single like, quote unquote, elevated horror piece. And that subtext is, aren't I a, a wonderful little lad for being able to spot how good and right and proper this is? Yes, exactly. And the the whole point is precisely that, right? The film that kind of trusts you enough to be able to read it as a text, right? The expect uh, this is something. This is something I put in the the piece that I wrote, which is like the whole point. the The reason horror is able to do things to your body is because it draws your mind into it as well, right? You are given the kind of interpretive task, right? Nothing. Uh, Nothing necessarily. Nobody turns to camera and goes. By the way, <laughs> the zombies represent commercialization. Uh, nobody does that. But like horror, horror at its best kind of trusts you, presents you with a situation, and trusts you to extrapolate outwards what's really going on. And like, and in some cases, in films like in films like Graveyard Shift, in films like Intruder, it's super obvious because it's made by. People who know what they're doing and who trust and respect the audience that's going to watch it, even if they are making like a kind of a, a silly knockabout slasher killer movie, they still trust people to kind of follow not just the kind of entertainment of it, but like why the horror is even effective in the first place. Yeah, and this is just like the, it's a recapture of criticism too, because if you like need a a like elevated horror critic to to lift these texts up then then it's not about the text itself anymore then it's not a thing that the movie ever did now it's a thing that critics are doing yeah precisely. it's so blatantly self-aggrandizing but uh let's 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 not forget the fact that this is this is a fun slasher movie <laughs> this is this is a, <laughs> this is a really fun slasher movie um and you you were talking about this a little bit before we started recording which is like there's something kind of comforting about this, right? Um, I think it undercuts it in really interesting ways, right? When it gets to the ending, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but what do you, what, what what do you think it is about the kind of slasher movie that, you know, for me and you, it's sort of like settling into into you know settling down on the couch and just sort of like ah yes. What 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 do you think it is about about this that makes it kind of work so well? So I, I think there's like a few levels of what's going on here. Like one, like this is like. This is a Scott Spiegel movie, so we know right right off the bat what we're kind of walking into here. Like it, it, it's got Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell in it. It is it is very much this kind of like, you know, like like it's coming from the, the the extended Sam Raimi cinematic universe, right? And so there's something about that that automatically makes it a little self aware, a little playful, you know, a little a little like even you know like all Evil Dead, like all of Sam Raimi's movies have that like little seed of comfort in them. And I think part of that is in the film style, right? Like, like it's very recognizable what we're watching here, right? Like, even though it's not Sam Raimi behind the camera in this movie, we still see, like, you know, like, these people shared influences when they're putting their movies together, right? They they grew up together, you know? So, so this is less, like, quote-unquote Sam Raimi style, and it's more the style that these, like, four or five guys forged as they, like, grew up and became filmmakers together. And so you, you you see that kind of like long history, right? You recognize a kind of certain cinematic family when you watch these movies. And it's and, they're clearly the thing that I really like about this movie, and with so much of Sam Raimi's um, 
films is that Raimi never, and this kind of style is that it never seems to take, think that it's that it's above the kind of like fun of horror. Like it, it's never like oh, oh yeah. I'm too good for like oh let's 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 do like a proper kind of cheesy kill with like a butcher's knife and it's like no no you're not too good for it and there's there's real kind of fun and joy in the in the kind of chaos of it. Oh oh yeah yeah absolutely right like this is another one of those like all all slasher movies have this kind of seed in them right there's this reverie right there's this joy this this kind of like primal exultation that comes with the kill in these films and and this this movie like really leans into that it really revels in kind of the there's like and again like this is kind of like the Raimi extended universe thing like there are slapstick elements in it right these are filmmakers that were heavily influenced by the three stooges yeah absolutely and and so like the kills have that right there's this element of playfulness that's going on here and I think that that also fits with like this is a very like this is like a young adult kind of slasher movie right these are all people like this is your first terrible job at the local grocery store you know, and and you become invested in your grocery store friends, and there's all these like standard antagonisms and this little culture that emerges when you work together with people like that. Yeah, and I think that that and it's also like like it's filmed on a summer night, and and I think that 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 adds a little a little bit of this kind of like there, there's all of the seeds for like what you would tell as a story, and they even do this in the movie, right? Like they tell a campfire story, right? They tell a story of this, this killer who beheads people. You, you, goof, you like, goof around uh, when you work in the late night shift. It's like, I, I love this movie. Like my, my first kind of proper job was working weekends at the local convenience store. And I, would, mm-hmm. I worked six to midnight on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and it was like, I was, I was like, yep, I get this. This, this feels... It feels very familiar. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And like, you know, my my first real job was as like a groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. So, so like, pre- pretty far afield of of this. But you still like you you feel all the same like connective tissue that's in with this movie, right? Like, it it, it connects into that like you know like you're striking out with your first job as a young adult, and these are a, a lot of the energies that are present there. Mm-hmm. and i don't know like there's just something about this movie that feels kind of restful in a way right this feels like this is the cinematic equivalent of like and this is probably because of my own like love of like the the all of these filmmakers and kind of like the and i, and I focalize Raimi here because maybe next to campbell and in different respects Raimi is the most successful out of these filmmakers yeah 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 but but you know like the the, the filmmakers that that kind of emerge in in, in the greater Raimi universe um, very, very like restorative to watch. And there's something about this where it's just like, this is the shape of a classic amateurish slasher movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, it, it hits all the beats. It's fun. There's something that I think you know because like everyone in that Raimi bubble has has such like a unique cinematic vision. There's something about this that's a little bit better than a lot of the other like generic knockoff slasher fare. Well, it it kind of embraces it embraces the tropes. I think right. It it. This is what I mean when I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't think that it's too good to be a to be like a knockabout slasher movie. That's what it is, and it and it's like if that's mm-hmm. it's like th- this this group of people who clearly kind of like hung out and 
uh, good friends decided, you know, if we're going to make a kind of slightly cheesy horror movie, let's make the best goddamn cheesy horror movie that we can. Um, and it's you're right. I, I think it's I think there is a kind of real joy to it. There's some kind of classic Sam Raimi style cinematography as well. There's some shots of there's like there's shots where you go, oh, yeah, they were they were they were they were doing that trick back back in the early '80s with the Evil Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's just great. It's just like it's a tight ninety. They have some good character beats. They understand the 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 macro and and micro level of editing a horror story where you like you generate tension from sequence to sequence and you generate it internally to the scene with like how you cut how you kind of move your camera around how you kind of like uh um you know just just blend everything together in the edit um i mean if you've seen a slasher movie before there'll be bits of this where you'll be like okay you'll you'll feel the rhythm of it but it's like there's something quite reassuring about it right Oh yeah, 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 totally, totally. It's it's again like this is this is the shape of a memory, right? The the specifics don't matter, but like this film, like because because of like lighting issues, right? Because of the fact that so much of this, like, if you've seen Evil Dead, that's enough. You're gonna recognize the form of this movie. Like so, so much of this is encountering kind of like those those kind of like fuzzy edges that chew away at memories over time. You know, like regardless of what your first job was, th- this is this is going to ring some of those bells. Yeah. You know, like you're you're going to feel oddly at place in in this film. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think so. That oh, go, on, just, go on, go on. You know, I just think that's what make it makes it work so well. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, and they they do it really well. Oh yeah, and I think this 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 kind of provokes an interesting and perhaps challenging question. But what does it mean for horror to be comforting? Because because as as people who watch more horror movies than most, I, I would venture to say, you know, by and by, like the, the even in the most like brutal horror films, there becomes something that's like, oh, you again, welcome back. Yeah, I think it's I think it's this question of rhythm, right? When you get the feel. When you get the feel for it, right? When you when you know the kind of beats that it's moving through, and when it's done well, and it's done with a kind of self awareness and that sense of fun and sense of joy, um, I I think that's I think that's I think that can be kind of like you know comfort film. I I I couldn't agree more, and I don't think there's like one could try and tease out like an ethical conflict of finding horror cinema comforting, you know. But I think that. I don't think that holds ground very well. I think that would st- start to quickly play back into into issues of like, oh, well, there's good horror and there's bad horror. There's unacceptable. There's this unacceptable unaccept- underclass of horror cinema that the good should avoid. It, it, it becomes I- incredibly moralizing instead yeah. of trying to tease out more complicated issues of what it means to connect to these kinds of films. And this kind of film, like it's reflective, right? You, you, you're cast back into yourself, which is why I think people who, um, people can find the, the world can be a deeply kind of like scary place. Like having the, having a shitty job and a, and a shitty, creepy boss and like dealing with the violence of like, um, what does it mean to have to go get, get out and go to work and be, you know, at the beck and call of people that hate you for, you know, 12 hours a day or whatever. 
Like there is that, that's horrifying. So in a way, there's there is something seeing it and see, that moment of recognition. I think the kind of resonances. Um, that's that's why I think films like this can be kind of comforting. So with that said, would you like to to head down to our discourse savings aisle? Savings, savings, savings. Now at Horror Bank. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Head down to aisle six six six. Uh, and get get us get us some frosty cold fresh discourse. So so we should probably start with uh, you know the killer the killer himself in, in this film. Uh, we we should indeed, and um, I I I loved it. It's a real shame that quite a lot of the publicity and posters at the time did spoil who it was. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, let's 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 leave that. But it turns out uh, it's one of the co-owners of the store. Um, and he has a great kind of like weird horror villain speech moment where he starts monologuing um, and to explain why he decided to do it. It starts out that he's just going to kill the other co-owner because the co that guy wants to sell. And then he decides to creatively murder everybody else in the store so they can't stop him, um, which is not a great plan. But... The the sentence yeah no some holes the sentence that I really liked is that he says I did it for the love of the store right he loves this place and it's like for me there's a real there's something really interesting that this film is doing with the nature of desire uh, under capitalism which is like these people are not just working a job you're not just working a job you're not you know you're not just clocking in but there's something about it that you love I just I just thought that was a super interesting thing to have as a motivation. You know, it's not that this is, oh, he's just he's just a crazy killer. It's like he did it because he loved this place. He loved working there, and reminded me of that Fisher quote about like the the insertion on the level of desire into capitalism. Right, we have to reckon with the fact that there are parts of us which really can gain huge amounts of pleasure out of this great system of exploitation. Right. Oh yeah, and and I think what's what's interesting is that this is incredibly telling. This is incredibly direct, for for the love of the store, you know, not not for the love of the community, not for the love of the kind of shop that the store represents, not for the love of like the service ostensibly that the grocery store provides for the town that it's in, but for the love of the the store on this conceptual yeah, level, precisely. Right, you, the it, the abstracted love of the store in in big quotes here, and and like whereas like if you wanted to kind of like prevent the sale like like this so in in the film, there there's a majority owner of the store and and he is selling his majority holdings over to the city because the city is going to turn it into a development opportunity. Um, so our killer is kind of reluctantly forced to to hand over his shares as part of the sale or kind of just get swept up in things. And like, it's telling that, you know, as, as part of his plan, he goes around killing all of these employees that they have like a, a complicated good relationship between all of them, despite the inherent antagonisms of boss and employee. And But instead of, instead of like, he, he as a boss cannot see through that. Right, he cannot see to these people as potential agential actors in the salvation of this this store. He can only see them as as obstacles. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right? Because because what Whereas, is it that he loves? He doesn't yeah. love he doesn't love people, right? He loves 
the the mechanism he loves the kind of process the generation of turning uh uh of turning kind of like products into money like the 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 kind of he, he really likes the sort of like uh the processes of exchange of 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 the flow as it were um so it's it's a very dehumanized kind of love very desubjectified right there is no there is no object it's just the idea Oh, yeah, 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 100%, you know, otherwise there would have been a recognition of his in inherent solidarity with the workers of the store, at least in, in the very narrow terms of the project that is saving the store from the sale and eventual demolition. You know, like, like th this leads us into our next topic really nicely, I think, and that's the kind of inherent tensions of the working class that play out in Intruder. Yeah, it's it just it just lays it all out, right? It just lays it all out, right? The 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 kids who work in the store they they're told that it's their last night shift because it's their their job is literally to mark down everything in the store to half price, and then they're all going to be fired. <laughs> it's like it's. I was like, mm -hmm. hmm, ah, I wonder if there might be, wonder if there might be something deeper going on here, other than a scary guy in the shadows of a supermarket. But no, according to that article in the Guardian, it's all subtext. <laughs> <laughs> it, one of the things that I found to be really interesting here, right, is that like, um, so, so one of our characters has an abusive former boyfriend that keeps showing up at the store, right? Like the red herring for who the killer is going to be. And it's kind of left to, to the grocery store employees to kind of do mutual aid and defend each other from yep. this creep, you know, and, and also to defend each other from the real killer. And kind of what this plays out is that like grocery store employees, restaurant employees, right? Like they have one of the most dangerous jobs you know, because you you are a essentially a first responder to, to every horrible, especially here in the United States, the increasing frequency of violent shootings in grocery stores and restaurants and things like that. Yeah. You know, like you are constantly in harm's way, especially in the context of COVID, right? Like, you know, outside of like hospital settings and schools, these are some of the highest sites of exposure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and this is this is really laying bare, kind of like when we think and depict grocery store labor one of the things i really like an in intruder is it's displaying how inherently unprotected vulnerable and violent these working conditions can be you know in the sense intruder is so flatly realistic you know because other movies you know like oh like getting the a job at the local grocery store oh that's like mayberry there's nothing more idyllic and bucolic and platonic and easy and placid uh, but the reality is no, like you're constantly going to be be beset upon by by all of these, like all of the, the turmoil of society is rushing like a wave upon the door of the grocery store, you know, and, and like this movie is like, no, no, no subtext here. This is just literally yeah, what's happening. This is this is literally how it is. Um, of course, this is this is all kind of exacerbated by the kind of the, the tedious euphemizing of the phrase key workers. You know, mm -hmm. where it's it's like actually we find out very quickly in moments of crisis who the most vital people in a society are, right? And it's the people who help people uh, keep themselves fed and keep themselves uh, it, together. You know, like um, like watching this post COVID, uh, post the the kind of panicking about shoplifting, 
uh, of people who are uh, experiencing a kind of massive food insecurity, you sort of go, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I I really do think that that way of putting it is so spot on. This idea of like grocery grocery workers as first responders almost. And and like like the interesting thing too is that like the post COVID framing is really interesting for me because like the COVID wave we're in right now is higher than the initial wave of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like like COVID is worse than when it started, not better. And like the UK has no COVID restrictions. America has like one COVID restriction left in place. You know, like we're just shedding these things left and right. And like this is because who on whose back is the burden of COVID placed now? Well, yeah, it's, it's you know like, like yeah, grocery store upon, workers. I I actually think this brings up a good point that we should maybe talk about, which is like the service industry generally, um, because the mm-hmm. other kind of big uh, contemporary sort of resonance when watching this is like supply chain chain issues, right? Um, going into grocery stores and finding empty shelves, um, which has become go, becoming and going to become increasingly uh, more and more common, I think, um, and like the uh the conditions of work on a not just on a physical but on an a emotional and social level of the service industry this is a film that kind of gets what that's like yeah yeah absolutely right this really really captures the the precarity the vulnerability the economic position like and i think that that adds to what makes this movie feel so comforting is because you you have this inherent solidarity you know, like even even if it's not recognized as such, like y- you connect with the the kind of grocery store employees as a ragtag team. Yeah, you go well. Position. This is a familiar story, and it's been a familiar story for thirty years. Hmm. So what do we what do we make of these these small business owners and their workplace democracies? Uh, well, I, I, again, this is this film is just so well put together. Um, there is no democracy, right? There, there can't be. Your management have have their office. Everyone else is on the shop floor. They have their moment where you know they're telling the spooky campfire stories, but there's still someone who gets to turn around at the end and go, "Okay, everybody, get back to work." Breaks over, right? This is a film that mm-hmm. is great for driving home the message that no matter how friendly they might appear, uh, the boss is never your friend, and if you you treat them like that. Um, you know, you're going to get chopped up in a meat slicer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It totally flatly lays that bare. I mean, like, you know, like, like the office is literally the panopticon again, right? Able to use the loudspeaker to issue commands down to your entire staff and like, you know, even even the ownership split, it's it's a fifty one percent owner versus a forty nine percent owner. That forty nine percent is is thereby irrelevant yeah. in the process. Yeah, yeah. Um, it 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 it's it's just it. This idea of like a workplace being, you know, oh, a workplace is like a family. No, it's not. It can be a lot worse. It can be a lot worse <laughs> than that. Um, and it's like you shouldn't. This idea of like the boss being the one who wants to look out for you. It's like, no, 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 no. The boss wants you to look, wants, wants you to think that they're only going to look out for you, but you have to look out for everybody. And the way to do that is through collectivity. Yeah. Where is the union in, in this movie? The, the shop desperately needed to organize 
well before these events happened. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's that's telling too, right? Like both both of the people, both the 49% owner who becomes the killer and the 51% owner who who is going to liquidate the entire business, they both see the employees as an yeah, obstacle. Yeah. They yeah, both they need both them, need them removed. removed to, to they fuel both their want own them ends. Literally liquefied. <laughs> yeah and i mean like this is this is a good discussion on like social violence too right like one of them is literally killing these people directly with fun grocery store murdering weapons the other is potentially going to kill some of them by making them unemployed we we don't know we don't know who needs like expensive medications we don't know who's supporting a family we don't know who's in who's not got a second job lined up you know, like like that is violence being done to these people. They're going to have to go without while they put together I mean, another is, income. This is what characters and say. Like, like they need yeah. the job, right? You, you don't. How, how do you have any mm-hmm. freedom? How do you have any autonomy if you if you are um you you you're kind of like they have so much leverage over you, especially in the states where employment and healthcare are so closely linked together. Where if you don't have a job, uh and you suddenly have a trip to the emergency room, that's it. You're, you're done. Yeah, and especially the context of, like, grocery store labor, like, very few grocery store jobs offer health care mm-hmm. as a benefit. And so, like, these people were paying out of pocket yeah. for their health care, no doubt. So now they're, like, extra in the lurch over this, right? Now that's an additional layer of social yes, violence absolutely. being put on them. And it's, like, the, the you know, uh, so social murder or actual murder in the long run can look very much the same mm-hmm. and i think this this kind of ties into something i wanted to talk about and that's this movie's title is very interesting right intruder i believe wasn't it wasn't it originally titled uh the night shift or the night crew yes yes and that that also brilliant title for this film uh i couldn't agree more what do you what do you think about this title change though so i, I think this is really interesting right because intruder is I think super evocative in the context of how we look at grocery stores as a space, mm-hmm. right? Like we live in a world where like, you know, like the commons, right? Like a commonly held space where people can just congregate and and do things is essentially non-existent. You know, like you, you even in your local park, you need to get a permit to barbecue, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, you need to schedule this time. And also even in your local park, the police presence still dictates who can and cannot be there, right? Like, like there is no real... You, you couldn't go to a local park and, and decide to, to camp for a few nights just for fun. You know, like, like this is still uh, a pressing issue, right? And, like, this film kind of explores this with the idea of intrusion. Because we're living in an age where, like, fascist militias in the United States will regularly patrol grocery stores... To prevent the quote unquote looters from yeah. coming in. And like like that, that is a vision of who is and is not an intruder in the space of a grocery store, right? Yeah, this idea that somehow what's in the in there is like equivalent to it being like a bank vault. You know, you're intruding, you're interfering in, you know, the acquisition of capital. When in fact actually means of life rule is uh, you know, a right. So which is why you know, if you saw somebody, if you ever see somebody shoplifting at the grocery store, no, you didn't. 
Yeah, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, I think this. I think this is a really this is a really prescient point, actually, um, and shows uh, like even it shows just how even in something as kind of seemingly small and uh, almost almost uh, unimportant as a title, for, if, especially for a film like this, you actually can unpack so much of its kind of ideological commitments, what it's sort of commenting on, how it's engaging with the um, material and social reality in which it exists as text oh absolutely and especially because like so so who would we think of as the intruder and intruder is it is it the killer that, that we inevitably realized no not really that's one of the owners of the store right no one would ever question their presence there mm-hmm. is is the intruder the kind of abusive former partner that that's constantly trying to break in and to to do violence right that, that that could be one of the intruders. But in the context of the movie, that person winds up becoming a victim to the killer as well. They're not really an intruder here. I would argue that the intruder in intruder is the grocery store itself. It's an intrusive Ooh. body that, that forms in this community and gates who can and cannot eat. And and gates that on a double level too, because now you need you need a personal vehicle to get to the store to buy things and take them home. You need money to buy the groceries to begin with. You need a place to store those groceries. There's so many costs levied against this basic access to food. Mm-hmm. But it also gates who can buy food by its retention of employees, right? Like it dictates the pay and the work schedule for these people. It controls sections of their lives. Despite it being a place where food is is provided, it prevents the people from work who work there to distribute this food from gaining access to it. It's the single most intrusive body in Intruder. Um, yes, and actually, uh, the, you, you're made an intruder into it, right? When oh in yeah. Fact, when in fact it should just be getting what you need. You become you. You um. It's it's this intrusion that makes you into an intruder itself. One hundred percent, and this is the this is the recognition of the the total dissolution of the commons. Yes. Y- yeah, yeah. You know, like like they're just you know definitely gone more here in the united states than in england slash europe but like nowhere is there like real commons anymore nowhere is there land where people can just like be without worrying about capitalism snaking its way in and seeking to suck value out of them yeah and the gro- the grocery store forces this into the foreground i i, I couldn't agree more i think i think this is a film that and and the way in which so much of these systems, so much of this enclosure of the commons, depends upon obfuscated labor, right? This is the night shift. Nobody, there's no customers. Like, so it's it's about it's about making it so that like all of this product just appears and has been priced and the shelves are full. Nobody knows how it happened, but it's about making a certain section of of labor invisible and thus kind of mm-hmm. un, unthinkable in a public way. And this is this is I know we don't talk a lot about zombies on this show, but this is which is weird. Perhaps we will correct this in time. But like this is a thing about zombie apocalypse fiction, right? The the kind of uh, the presence of the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. In zombie apocalypse fiction frustrates me to no end. Right? Because because uh, uh, Walking Dead Sheriff will always have appropriate clothing no matter what's going on. You know, yeah. it, it's it's never going to occur that he'll need to wear something ill-fitting or not appropriately masculine enough for his role and archetype. 
you know, there in zombie apocalypse fiction, there's always going to be a, a pharmacy with the medication you need. There's always going to be a grocery store with canned goods that aren't infested with botulism. You know, like like the the supply chain is a source of magic production. That's that's always going to have things to just grind out for you, like yeah. things at the grocery store just pop into existence. Invisibilized, you know, invisibilized labor is mm-hmm. is is the underpinning logic here, and that's why I think it's so important that this is the night shift. There is there is another element to this though, as we as we kind of start to sort of start wrapping things up, which I think we should talk about, which is like the the idea of what links what links the violence of the market and the the libidinal desires and violence of our slasher killer is is patriarchy right this is there is a, there is mm-hmm. a huge amount of male violence in this this is very it's very gendered there is one of the one of the cashiers has um an ex-boyfriend who is violent and abusive and keeps trying to break in um and sends kind of threatening phone calls we have yeah. we have a kind of the creepy boss who is like Oh, I'm sure I could get you a new job if you're just nice to me, and which mm-hmm. is which is like, uh, but all of these, this is this is these are not kind of distinct separate things, right? These these are variations upon a theme, and the theme is kind of undercut by this, you know, the super smiley manager who just wants everyone to get along. Aren't they a great team? The violence there is the same thing, right? That's it's there's a continuum between between all of this and the guy that's going to force your face into a meat slicer <laughs> right <laughs> so so what what do you think we've talked about this in kind of quite what do you what do you think about how this film is dealing with this this issue of kind of male violence the gender well, I think, I the mean, gendered like, nature of 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 work especially work in the service industry i think is important here as well yeah and i, I think i think that's like you know the term emotional labor gets gets thrown around a lot and i think overused in contexts that are not appropriate to it uh, but I this can't is believe, the original you can't believe you're doing the not doing the emotional labor of talking to your friends <laughs> yeah yeah right like oh oh all of my friendship uh john i have to send you an invoice for being your buddy yeah 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 totally <laughs> yeah that's that's waged um no but like like this is the original context for um emotional labor right the service industry you know like uh, our, our protagonist who's 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 a cashier who has to manage the emotions of having her violent stalker ex-boyfriend is harassing her with phone calls attempting to physically break into the store under no uncertain terms to do violence to her yeah she has to manage all of that and still has to pleasantly perform her duties as a cashier at a grocery store you know, has to has to grin and bear it through an incredibly traumatic experience. That is emotional labor, right? Which is you know unwaged, which is unrecognized because it fits into the greater sphere of quote unquote women's labor, right? Domestic labor, Th- things that are unwaged and extracted from the kind of uh, monetized aspects of capitalism, but nevertheless vital for its continuous this this reproductive labor is essential for not only the reproduction of the household but also the reproduction of capitalism itself mm-hmm. um well that I, I mean i'm not i'm not going to add anything to that that you haven't already just said better <laughs> yeah i mean no i mean i, I, I and i'm just paraphrasing counter planning from the kitchen just go read that just read sylvia federici and uh, like... federici was right uh there is there is again and it's it's a film that just that just uh, is very explicit about all of this that there is there is 
there is nothing really that separates you know our creepy boss who who you know they can get you a new job they'll take care of you this abusive stalker and this slap like what separates them is a, is degree yes and that is so important right because we see that like you know, kind of kind of the three patriarchal bodies in this film are the the abusive ex-boyfriend the the managers of the store and the police yes and night and those three bodies do not take the threat that they mutually pose very seriously no absolutely they they, they try to scare each other off and, and kind of maintain a loose sense of order between each other intra their status as varying levels on the patriarchy however you know like they're not no one is seriously concerned with the stalker boyfriend he's a nuance because he threatens the ability of the store to make money yes or he's a nuisance rather for that reason he's not a problem in the eyes of the boss you know what he's only a problem because he's interrupting productivity what is it the 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 cops say oh you should be careful it's like oh yeah Mm -hmm. great genius (laughs) yeah yeah here's here's your here's your detective award for figuring this case out bud good job um, should we should we talk about the police? Yeah, uh, I mean, like you know, like like I know you had something you wanted to say about the policing in in relation to the end of this film. Uh, yeah, the ending of this film actually is is kind of surprisingly bleak um, for what kind of comes off as, in many ways, a slightly slightly silly, slightly um, low stakes horror movie. So uh, our final girl survives um, the. Uh, the the scumbag X is given uh, some nuance, and they they escape outside. Um, and what happens is the police uh, arrive, and the two of them find themselves blamed for all of the deaths inside the store. Um, because the the our, our psycho killer slasher uh, says, "No, it was them. It was them all along. They killed everybody." And the cops immediately throw them onto the hood of the car and slap cuffs on them. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. you don't you don't often get a film which are kind of like so willing to go that like I was thinking this is it's sort of like the the proposed original ending to Get Out. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it made me think of. What, what about you? What do you think of the ending? Well, I, I just thought of like you know like the, the the classic line: the the function of policing is social control and the protection of property. Yes, of course they're going to agree with the store owner. You know, like, sure, maybe there's some investigation after the fact that bears out the truth of things. But in the meantime, yeah, look who has to spend the night in jail. Look who's going to be put up on bail over this while while evidence maybe gets sorted out. And and even then, like, you know, a lot of this might just come down to the word of one of our community's upstanding business leaders versus that troubled couple that the whole community knows. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like like the, these are the way these lines of power collapse in reality. Like the ending of this was just so grindingly real. Yeah, when you and you realize there's nothing nothing that they can do. There's nothing that they could say even that would have any. And impact. this is this is such a clever twist for the slasher formula too. Because what's the standard end of the slasher movie? It's the hand coming up through the rubble. It's oh, those bullets never killed the slasher to begin with. It's it's this subtle hint that oh there's something systemic at play here there's something cyclical about violence yes and this is just literally how it works yeah absolutely it, it's it's not metaphoric in the slightest and, and it's so strange that you have Bruce Campbell like the the you know they they undercut this really cleverly as well because the first time the cops show up 
like there's there's one who's like super old and it's like there's a kind of like they play it off as a joke where it's like a oh look what you better get him home um and then, mm-hmm. and then, right at the end, you think, "Oh, the cops will show up." Oh, we'll have a like a light-hearted moment that will kind of cut through the tension. It's like, "Oh, it looks like you've had a hell of a shift." Uh, you know, everybody laugh, freeze frame, yeah. freeze frame, roll credits. But like, no, it it goes super dark so quickly. It's really, it's really like one of the darkest moments in the film. This film is like a very complicated balancing act between these like nostalgic campy slasher tropes with like some really jarring bits of reality with the the scenes of domestic violence and abuse and and the way the ending of the movie plays out well i think now that we've we've come to the end would you is it is it time to is there anything else you'd like to bring up before we before we close on uh, on that magical second pricey no no let's 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 jump right into to Pracy intruder intruder sequel Pracy where the Pracy raises its hand and it's holding a bunch of like a fistful of grocery store coupons. <laughs> the act of watching Intruder felt so much like the act of remembering. Memories, at least mine, and perhaps for reasons that are all too telling, are deeply cinematic. They play and wear like old film reels. Intruder felt like that, worn and familiar. Late nights locking up some half-torn-down store, chatting with co-workers on the shop floor, the insular little cultures that develop. These conversations and those ways of connecting are at the core of Intruder. This film is about the formation of nostalgia. The presence of night, the looming facade of the grocery store, the way darkness comes alive and starts to creep in at the edges of the frame. That's nostalgia eating at the way of the context and details that become defined by the absence of it. Intruder is both nostalgia intruding into the true shape of past events, and the implicit recognition that such truths were never fully complete to begin with. Belief is framed as a relationship between our thoughts, actions, and social systems, but it's also an internal relation between those meta-beliefs and the object of our sense of personal congruity. There's so much in my life I can't remember. I've become an intruder into my own congruity. An other inside the hyper-object of the self. These bones, this storehouse of my memories, the external forces shaping the self. Does it ever feel like you've been locked inside a grocery store running from someone, something you can't see? Thank you for joining us as we discussed Intruder. Cut it right there. That was great. That was so good. Boom. In a way, I sort of feel like I, I just I just felt like I kept going, it's obvious, it's in the movie. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.